Welcome to the Dive Podcast presented by Willamette Week. I'm your host, Hank Sanders. Join us every Saturday for a deep discussion about the biggest stories of the week. Go behind the scenes with journalists, political figures, and newsmakers to get a unique look at our city. And also, I want to hear from you, the listener. So please send any questions, critiques, or sponsorship inquiries to my email at hsanders at wweek.com. Thank you so much and enjoy this episode of the Dive Podcast. Welcome back to the Dive Podcast. I'm your host, Hank Sanders. Great to have you with us today for episode 55 of The Dive. Today is January 15th. We've got a great show for you today. We are joined by Dr. Jennifer Vines, who serves as a Multnomah County Health Officer. She joined us about six months ago when we were worrying about COVID still, but uh, one of the earlier letters of the Greek alphabet, we were thinking about Delta a lot back in the day talked about Delta in episode 26 with her, and now we join her again for Omicron discussion in episode 55. But before we get to that story, I got to tell you, this week's cover story, you got to check it out. If you're looking for a job or if you just care about the employment community in Portland, what's going on there, they are paying out bigly. They need workers, so uh, check that out. There's a lot of cool stories, a lot of good reporting going on there. And also, before we get to our interview, we've got to do another thing. We've got to bring you all the headlines, everything that happened this week. This is the 9 Second News Flash. We begin with a troubling story out of Multnomah County. The Multnomah County Board of Commissioners is being accused of discriminating against a group of temporary employees. These temporary employees were hired in part for their diverse cultural identities, and these workers got the same base pay and benefits as permanent employees, but they reportedly did not get the same bonuses as their co-workers. These complaints of discrimination are damning to a county that has prided itself on trying to improve racial equity. The Metro Council voted 5-1 to one to appoint Duncan Huang to replace former Councilor Bob Stacy. Stacy resigned for health reasons. Huang perhaps is most notable for his role as an interim co-executive director to the Asian Pacific American Network for Oregon. As Oregon gets ready to welcome in a large number of at-home COVID tests, the state has announced the launch of a system that allows Oregonians to self-report positive at-home COVID-19 tests. This is a complete flip from the statement they made earlier in the week that said the opposite, arguing that at-home tests were not critical to report. Folks, there's a lot of news this week revolving around COVID, COVID numbers, Omicron, and likes of this illness that is spreading through our community faster than ever. But since our interview this week is all about COVID, we will save those topics for later on in our show and talk to our expert about them. If you need a drink, maybe you want something with alcohol in it, try High Top Tavern. If you're in more of a sober mood, try Smith Tea Maker on 23rd. And it is officially soup weather here in Portland, so head on over to Shin Shin Vietnamese Bistro. Spelled Shin Shin as in X-I-N-H, X-I-N-H, it's supposed to be phenomenal. Well, folks, there's the headlines, the food, the news, everything you gotta know. This has been the 9 Second News Flash. 
We turn now to our interview of the week. We are joined by Dr. Jennifer Vines, who is a Multnomah County Health Officer. She's done a lot to impact the way Oregon and Portland has responded to COVID over the past couple years. We had her on about six months ago. We asked her tough questions then. We're asking her tough questions now. Here is our interview with Dr. Vines. Enjoy. Okay, Dr. Vines, thanks so much for joining us today. And I just want to start here. Big question. Is Omicron the flu or is it a deadly virus? Is it more flu, more deadly virus? What are we looking at here? I think it's more deadly virus. Um, to, to answer your question straight up, I think the, re- the reason is it spreads so quickly and to so many people that it finds those who are going to be severely ill. And it looks like, I, I, and I don't think we can compare those numbers of severely ill to, to even a bad flu season. Um, So it is a numbers problem with Omicron. So as I say that, I also have to say the majority of us, especially if we're vaccinated, will not get severely ill. But I don't think it's I don't think we can compare it to the flu at this point. People like Fauci, people have said over and over again that it's looking like all of us at one point, at some point, are going to have to deal with getting COVID. And for a lot of other people, it seems like it seems like an interesting discussion to say, hey, you know, the vaccine's free. It's available whenever you want it. If you don't want to get it, if you want to struggle uh, in the hospital and, and risk your life, that's your prerogative. We're done forcing people or trying to push people into the direction. It's up to you if you want to deal with the consequences of your actions. What's the problem with that? Is there a problem with saying, hey, let's open everything back up. If you don't want to get vaccinated and you want to go to the hospital, cool. So that is an age old tension in public health, right? Individual rights versus the the collective good or the collective benefit. And I think, you know, I'm a a believer in voluntary vaccination. I've supported vaccine mandates because they impose a deadline where you basically have to go on record as either having had your vaccine uh, or requesting an exception. And I, I think that's a reasonable way to go. I think when people say we should just open everything up and it should just be on people to get vaccinated, that ignores the fact that we all, at the end of the day, we all share a limited number of hospitals and hospital beds and trained healthcare providers, um, and that we all end up potentially losing out when our hospitals are overflowing with people who arguably have a disease that's preventable by vaccine. So um, there's a lot of conversation about rights, but I think with that comes responsibility and what is our responsibility to each other, knowing that we do uh, affect other people's lives by our individual actions. Talk to me about vaccine mandates because vaccine mandates are are not a new thing, but it's become a very hot button issue. Supreme Court rulings, uh, red and blue split over what to do about vaccine mandates. Talk to me about why you said that you are in support of vaccine mandates. How far is does your support go for them? Mm-hmm. So vaccine mandates are not new to public health. So, you know, if you've never thought twice about measles or smallpox, you can thank a vaccine mandate. A lot of vaccines now are routinely required for kids to go to school. Um, it's how we prevent a lot of disease and build up uh, a level of community protection against a lot of diseases. Uh, they've been required for travelers uh, to certain parts of the world for a long time. So in that sense, they're not new. And again, it's 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 flagging an action that is important by putting a deadline on it and attaching it to, in some cases, attaching it to an activity that carries risk. So I think vaccine mandates just, they, they, they push people to get the vaccine 
or if they really do object, there are voluntary pathways, you know, to, to request a medical exception, which is rare. Um, most uh, vaccine mandates allow for some kind of personal belief or religious exemption. And I, I also support those. I think there should be pathways for people uh, to request those exceptions. I just think at the end of the day, the vaccine should be easier and more appealing than uh, requesting the exception. You know, at the beginning of the pandemic, and I was reading everything you could read about what was going on, I kept thinking, wow, there's a lot of people in America who I feel like just aren't seeing the world properly. They thought that the pandemic was made in the lab. It was some type of warfare that was being used. Bill Gates was going to inject you with uh, with some microchip. And then in recent news, you know, I've read stories like CEOs of airline companies coming out and saying, hey, you know, I don't like that our workers have to quarantine for 10 days. And then the CDC comes out and limits quarantine a couple of days later from 10 days to five days. News that maybe the CDC skipped over the Greek letter she uh, in response to not wanting to piss off uh, the president of China. Um, Texas wastes a bunch of vaccines. CDC uh, changes couple, next couple of days uh, the shelf life rules for vaccines. Is it possible that the rules that we're getting, the rules that we're being told, may not all be based in science? Some of them might be based in politics, in economics in business? Yeah. So I think you're getting at a very interesting question and one that has been particularly polarizing. So um, the, the rallying cry that, you know, that science is real and we're following the science, that's all, that's all fair. I mean, I, yes, science is real and, and science is a process, right? So it takes time to accumulate knowledge. Science can be contradictory, right? It can take a long time to resolve those contradictions to decide, you know, what, what, what is true? What, what do we believe? And I think there are some, some aspects of the pandemic where the science is very clear, like the vaccines are very safe. They're very effective uh, at preventing severe disease and death and hospitalization. I think in the course of the pandemic, though, we've had to make trade-offs. So those trade-offs can be hard to explain. Um, and I think, you know, sometimes people point to science or lack of science when really what we're doing is trying to lower risk and not eliminate it. So I looked at the CDC revised guidance to take your example for shortening quarantine and isolation periods. And I read it as being pretty upfront about this is a balance of lowering risk of COVID transmission with allowing people to get back to work who have essential jobs. So we uh, suffer harms if society comes to a grinding halt because everybody is at home isolating and quarantining during you know the couple of weeks that this virus just tears through our communities. So I think those more nuanced conversations about trade-offs, uh, it gets branded as politics, it can get branded as conspiracy theories, but I think it's really those kind of deeper questions about what this pandemic has meant um, and what the right thing to do is, which is not always obvious. I think that there's some times when the guidance that we're getting from local officials and national officials sometimes undermines the science because it is sometimes overly cautious or, like you said, threading this balance of actually being underly cautious where it's like, if that's not a word, but where it's like, hey, we have to make some, some trade-offs here and it might undermine some of the other decisions. Do you think that that might be fair? Yeah, I, I think that's fair. I think um, every every decision, every recommendation has embedded in it 
a trade-off. And so if you give if you give someone a task of strictly coming up with pro protocols to prevent the spread of COVID, they're going to come up with something that becomes unworkable in real life, right? Or that does serious harm by having uh, workers stay home uh, from essential functions that then cascade into harms elsewhere. And so these are all things that are actually hard to wrap, wrap your head around. Uh, and so you end up, I think, with um, a credibility problem, frankly, in public health when we have to have these, uh, you know, changing changing rules, changing guidance, um, and, uh, you know, trying to release something to the public that is helpful and that is doable. And I think we have struggled. We have struggled. The only thing worse than a positive COVID test is a false COVID test, because, you know, if you are false positive, then you're missing work for no reason, missing important things for no reason. And if you're false negative, then you're going around and spreading COVID everywhere. At-home tests, now an expert isn't injecting the thing up your nose as far as it has to go because they've done this a million times. They've been trained. They're not putting it into the bottle or into the thing correctly. We're taking some onerous onto the individuals at home. A, should we trust COVID tests? Are they well-made? And B, What's the issue there with, do you trust human ability at home, not trained to do it correctly? Yeah, it's a great question. I think um, rapid COVID tests, I think actually add value. Um, I think they're useful. No medical test is perfect. So any medical test can give you a false positive or a false negative. What's to say that this, I mean, it just seems like this virus is going to keep mutating, keep spreading. And I don't, you know, it'd be nice if it was like, okay, well, once we just beat this hump, then we'll be chilling. Like, I don't see that happening. What evidence do we have that this won't drag on another three years? Yeah, I this is where I wish I had a crystal ball. I can, yeah. I, can I can share an educated guess um, with you because I, you know, I read, read a lot about COVID. I think a lot about COVID. Um I am I am reserving some optimism for spring and summer of 2022, um, simply because you know fall and winter that's that's the traditional respiratory season, um, and I think we have a lot of people taking up vaccine. We have people getting boosted. Uh, we have our younger age groups now eligible for vaccine. Um, I am still holding on to some hope for spring and summer of 2022. I can't say exactly what it will look like. Um, but I think there may be a slow um, pathway to, to some sense of reprieve there. If you could look back over the past 18 months, even just 12 months, what's a mistake that you regret being in a room where a decision was made and now you're like, hey, that decision wasn't the right decision? Uh, this is a hard one. Um, and you've actually already gotten me talking about it. And I think it has to do with kids and with school. Um, again, hindsight is 2020. We followed the social distancing playbook that we knew at the time, which is that kids are often the spreaders of disease um, in a community and kids certainly can spread, but that becomes, closing schools becomes a strategy for limiting spread more broadly. And my regret is that schools stayed closed for so long. Um, but then I have to remember that we didn't know then what we know now that kids can be back in school, that you can have them masked, that you can have them distanced um, and, and that they can do okay. So we did eventually get there, but that is what weighs on me most is the long shadow that COVID is gonna cast over young people in particular. 
Dr. Vines, Multnomah County Health Officer, thanks so much for joining us today. I'm sure we'll have you back uh, soon. Thanks for having me. All right, bye. Well, folks, that's our show. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Dive Podcast. You know, it's been fun over the past year or so to see how this community has grown week in, week out. We're getting more and more comments from listeners like you telling us how to improve the show, feedback, things you want to hear about, your thoughts on the show. And we really appreciate all your feedback. Keep the notes coming. We, we read it all. We respond to it all. So thank you very much. This week's listener of the week has got to be Dave. Dave is listening from Skopum, Norway. Last week, he was introduced to the show. He said he's going to be a listener for life now. He's a former Portlander. Now he lives in Skopum. I looked it up. What a cute small town in Norway. So whether you're here in Portland, or somewhere around Oregon, or in Skopum, or abroad, elsewhere, thank you so much for listening. Hope you enjoyed this week's show. Hope you enjoy the uh, term that we coined together, underly cautious. You can have that for free. You can use that in your day-to-day life. Uh, tell them I sent you. So underly cautious, that's our term. And Dave, thank you for listening. All the other listeners as well, yourself included. Thank you so much. For Lama Week, I'm Hank Sanders. We'll see you next week. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Dive Podcast, presented by Willamette Week. For more information on this podcast or the biggest stories in Portland, go to wweek.com and follow Willamette Week on all socials. We're doing some really cool things related to the podcast on our Instagram and Twitter. Includes giveaways, behind the scenes, etc. A lot of cool things coming your way, so give those a follow. Special thanks to our guests for joining us, and thank you to Aaron Mesh, Mark Zussman, and Brian Panganibon, as well as the entire Willamette week family last but not least thank you so much to heather witty and ampmusic.co for the music that you hear on this podcast for willamette week i'm hank sanders this has been the dive podcast Music